Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I have a lot to share with you. I noticed in this particular message that, uh, and, and don't get too scared by this, <laughs> but there are actually passages of Scripture from the Torah, the prophets, the writings, and the New Covenant, including the epistles. So there's going to be a lot of Scripture here. So if you have your Bibles, I uh, appreciate you may follow along, but we will also uh, project them behind me here if you'd like to follow along in that way. This week's portion was a relatively short Torah portion. It's from Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus. And I want to read you this section, just a couple of verses from Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verses 23 and 24. Here's what it says. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you. For they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. If you were able to read the portion this week, you realize that that thematically that was continued uh, within the portion. And throughout the whole book of Leviticus at this point, that these, these ideas are, are continually repeated about the Lord separating the people onto himself. And, and basically that they were not to be like the people that he was removing from the land. They were to be different. There is much to derive from these ideas, but one thing for sure is that God is quite aware, or we can say from this passage that he was quite aware of what was happening among the people groups of the nations. In other words, he knew what was going on in the nations around Israel at that time. Israel was wandering in the wilderness, in the Midbar, in the desert, and God was bringing the children of Israel to the place that he had promised, the Eretz of the land flowing with milk and honey. We call it the promised land, Canaan, Canaan, all that. But God was aware not only what was happening with the Israelites, but also what was happening in the nations around them. And when you think about that concept, God being aware of what's going on in the nations around them, there are so many biblical examples of God being aware of what's happening in the nations that we could spend a lot of time discussing that. The Bible does teach and does show us directly that God knows what's going on in the nations not just what's happening in Israel. For example, you realize the whole book of Yonah, of Jonah, the whole book of Jonah is predicated upon the idea of God sending his prophet to the Ninevites of all people. 
that means he was aware of what was happening in Nineveh and what, did, what happened in Nineveh after Jonah preached. I think he was as surprised as anyone might have been that they actually repented. From the king on down, they repented. God also foretold through Jeremiah the prophet, he foretold that the children of Israel would be exiled to Babylon, and he said they would be there for 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. God foretold that the Babylonians would come in, that they would sack, they would raise, R-A-Z-E, they would raise Jerusalem, Jerusalem, The children of Israel would be taken captive, be brought to Babylon, and after 70 years, they would come back to Israel, Israel, the land, back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem again. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. God was aware what was going on in Babylon. God was aware what was happening in Israel. And what about the Magi in the Brit Kadashah in the New Covenant? Here's this people, this mysterious group of people. We call them the Magi in English. This mysterious group of people that somehow came to realize that the, he who is king of Israel was born. And they leave the east, somewhere in the east, and they come all the way to Jerusalem. And we see God working with the Magi. We don't know if they were of Jewish background. We don't know if they had been influenced by folks like Daniel or not. The text doesn't tell us. But it does show us that God was at work in the east where the Magi's lived, and he was speaking to their hearts. And what about Philip? Philip was translated. We don't hear that too often, do we? We hear that in relationship to, like, the Bible being translated. But Philip, the Mevaser, the evangelist, he was translated in the spirit or by the Ruach HaKodesh, and he, he was brought right alongside the Ethiopian who was returning from Jerusalem on his way back to Ethiopia. He was in his chariot, the book of Acts tells us. He was reading Isaiah 53, and Philip is brought right alongside of him, running alongside of him. And the rest is history. Philip actually leads this Ethiopian person who was uh, apparently involved at the the upper, upper levels of authority in Ethiopia. He leads him to the Messiah, and he's immersed there in the desert area outside of Gaza. And in Acts chapter 10, God knew what was happening in a Roman centurion's heart. You remember him. His name was Cornelius. And God knew exactly what was happening in that man's heart. And what does the Lord do? Well, the story is told us. The narrative occurs in the book of Acts. But, but the Lord actually sends Peter. Peter, who was admittedly the apostle to the Yehudim, to the Jewish people, he sends Peter to Cornelius. And again, not to overstate it, but the rest is history. Cornelius receives the Lord. His household receives the Lord. God was aware of what was happening in the heart of a Roman centurion. He was aware of what was happening in the Ethiopian's heart. He was aware of what was happening in the Magi's heart. He was aware of what was happening in Nineveh. He was aware of what was happening in Babylon. And then there's Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, in what is commonly called in theological circles the Macedonian call where the Lord gets Rav Shaul Paul's attention and directs him towards what we would call today Macedonia. That's a very big point in history. 
in theological history, in the history of the Lord, because in the Lord's dealing with people, because the, the gospel, the Besarah of Yeshua, goes forward into that area where Rav Paul was called. And I guess you can get the point, and there are so many texts that show us, not only was God aware of what was happening with Israel and the Jewish people, but he was quite aware of what was happening in the nations. After all, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And I know Isaiah does say in one statement, he says, the nations are as a drop in a bucket to the Lord. That's not a put down of the nations. That's an explanation that God is sovereign over everything, including the nations. And among those nations would be Israel, the Jewish state. You know what? I have this idea, and maybe you would agree with this, that no nation is exempt from his scrutiny. That even today he's aware of what's going on around the face of this earth. He knows what's happening He knew in the time of Joshua, he knew that the nations that Israel would eventually dispossess and and inherit their land, he knew that those people there that were living in that place that we call now the modern land of Israel, as Joshua goes in under the directive of the Lord and, and dispossesses those people, he knew that those people there, the Lord knew that those people were guilty of great moral social, psychological, and physical transgressions. He knew that. In fact, he told Israel that. Remember the passage we read in Leviticus chapter 20. It says, don't be like them. I have separated. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. He says that. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess for they commit all these things, and therefore I abhor them. You see, God told Israel, don't be like them. I've separated you. God separated Israel to be a people, a holy people, an Am Kodesh, a holy people before him. Sadly, and the word here is sadly, sadly, The testimony of Scripture, in your Bibles that you have, if you read it carefully, the testimony of Scripture is that over and over again, Israel did not heed the call of God to serve the Lord, to hearken to His voice, and to obey His word. Israel oftentimes didn't heed that call. And before we get too high and mighty in our stand, we need to think about our own lives. Do you always heed what the Lord tells you to do? (laughs) I would guess that that's not always true, that you don't always heed the Lord. I certainly have my hand up for that one. God sent Israel prophet after prophet, morning and evening, he says. He sent them prophets. He sent prophets to remind them of his word. He sent prophets to, in a sense, to restate to them what he wanted from them. He sent prophets at times to upbraid them. He sent prophets sometimes to chide them. He sent prophets to correct them. He sent prophets to discipline them. He also sent prophets to encourage them. How many prophetic words that we read in Scripture are words of encouragement. We still use some of those words today as encouragement to ourselves. Have you ever thought of, when you're going through a tough time, what Isaiah said? He said, fear not, 
for I am with you. How many of you have thought of that before? <laughs> Fear not, for I am with you. When you had something that was coming upon you that could easily consume you, it could make you fearful and, and full of anxiety. And God sent his prophets to do all kinds, to exhort them, to encourage them to get moving, to get forward, to rebuke them. No, you're not going the right way. Get it right. Get it straight. Change your ways. Go the right way. And he sent them the prophets, and one of the goals was so that they would not be like the nations who displeased him. Now, I read a list of places and people such as the Ethiopian eunuch, the Roman centurion, of individuals from the nation that the Lord really loved these people so much that he sent special ministry to them. I mean, it's pretty special to have one of the Apostles Philip come alongside of you while you're in a chariot and speak to you. It's quite special to have Peter, the apostle to the Yehudim, to the Jews, come alongside you in your household like Cornelius did. It's quite special that God revealed to the Magi the birth of the Mashiach and placed it in their heart and kept them and sustained them so that they arrived all the way to Jerusalem and actually were able to see the child, Yeshua. That's pretty special. And yet, when we read Hosea chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, it seems to summarize. It summarized what eventually happened and what developed and began to dominate the nation of Israel. It summarizes, Hosea said this in verse 1 of Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. Their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. For now they say, we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he, what would this king do for us? You know, we can learn much from this particular passage. And over the next few minutes, I want to point out a few corollary ideas that are related to Hosea, yet another prophet God sent to Israel. Some of the most beautiful, encouraging passages are found in Hosea. And yet this, as you can see, as you read this and as we parse this, as we examine this text, you realize that God is saying something quite strong to the children of Israel. And we can learn a lot from these three verses. Let me read again Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. That's how chapter 10 begins. Notice it says, and I'm repeating this again, it says, Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. Scripture shows how God sovereignly blessed Israel. A land, the Torah, the Sabbath, sovereignly blessed Israel. God revealed himself to Israel in a very unique and special way. Out of all the nations, he revealed himself to Israel. 
He showed Israel his power in many ways. Think about it. Just if it had just been the deliverance from Egypt, as we say at the Passover Seder, Dianu, it would have been enough. As we sing the song, Dianu, we continue to repeat all the things that God did. If he had just given us the Torah, Dianu, if he had just given us the Sabbath, Dianu, it would have been enough. And God blessed Israel in so many ways. He revealed his power. He delivered Israel from Egypt. He provided for and established Israel as a nation on the land that he had promised to our forefathers. He established them. He blessed Israel with leaders. You realize they came out of a place under Pharaoh with inordinate leadership, abnormal leadership, tyrannical leadership. And the Lord worked with the children of Israel, and he raised up leaders among them. He established what we would call now, using the modern term, he established government within Israel, and he established a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. Kahuna, a priesthood, he established. And he blessed them with material abundance. It's amazing. They came out of Egypt. They had been avadim. They'd been slaves. They come out of Egypt, and he begins providing manna for them. They come out of Egypt, and he continually provides for them and protects them and watches over them. Was it always easy? No. By the way, is it always easy in your life? I think the answer is no. But that doesn't mean God has forsaken you. It doesn't mean he's not with you. It could mean at times that we're not with him like we should be. How many of you have experienced that in your life? You realize, hey, I'm not as close to the Lord as I should be. The scripture tells us in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant, it says, draw near to the Lord or draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What's the starting point of him drawing near to us? Us drawing near to him. God blessed Israel materially, and but too often they spent it on themselves. That's what Hosea said. They spent it on themselves. They spent it on their, themselves in their own idolatrous ways, setting up altars unto all different types of God. They did it unto themselves. And by the time of Malachi, they were offering the worst animals possible for sacrifice. Animals that were blind. Animals whose legs were pointing in other directions that weren't normal. They offered those to the God, to God. They offered the worst animals of their flocks. They said, Well, we'll give this to the Lord. We don't want it. We'll give it to the Lord. Sacrifice. Read the book of Malachi, the last prophetic voice by by both Jewish and Christian standards, the last prophetic voice. Until Yohanan Amabil, John the Immerser, shows up. And then tithing, 90% wasn't enough for them. They wanted everything. God says, bring the tithe. And they said, no, this is for, for me. 90%'s not enough. I need the 10% is what they said to him. It's in Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Verse 8. What a question. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, he told them. You've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? You get the, the hint of, well, we're innocent of this. You're falsely accusing us. In what way have you robbed? Have we robbed you? It's a very terse answer. You know what he says? In tithes and offerings. 
look at the next statement. Right after he says, you robbed me in tithes and offering, the very next statement, you're cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Notice he didn't say, bring all the tithes into your house. Or someone else's house, he says, bring it to the storehouse. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says in a most remarkable statement, he says, and try me now in this, test me in this. See if this isn't true, what I'm saying. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, Adonai Tzvaot, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. How many of you like that part of this verse? <laughs> what goes before that part of the verse, being obedient to the, the original part? You know, a similar thing happens today. A similar thing. We bring forth fruit for ourselves, like Isaiah said, of Israel in chapter 10. We bring forth fruit for ourselves and we forget sometimes that we are to honor God with the first fruit, the very first fruit. You know, if we don't honor him with the first fruit, we're bringing the second fruit, the third fruit, the leftovers were just like Malachi talked about. The leftovers. Is he the God of our leftovers? Or is he the God of our first fruits? I believe he's the God of our first fruits. But... We bring him sometimes our leftovers. Yeah, you know, I have this left, Lord, is for you. And it's the principle that I'm really interested in here. Because the principle was clearly stated by Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon. And by the way, Solomon knew quite a bit about prosperity. He said this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Notice the next statement. And with the... Say it with me. First fruits of all your increase. Verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. But sometimes we know better than the Lord. Sometimes we know better than Solomon. Our economic plan's better. But this is much more about a heart attitude than about our material possessions. That's what Yeshua aimed for. He aimed for the heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which I'd be surprised if, if basically all of us can quote this verse. Matthew 6, 33, really is a parallel to some of the verses I've just been saying. It says, but seek first. How does this verse sound if it's something like this, but seek last, seek second, seek fifth. It totally changes this because the issue is a hard issue. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, also used the phrase, Israel has increased the altars. <laughs> Sounds pretty religious, doesn't it? Increase the number of altars. 
Israel enjoyed the blessing of God, but used those blessings in ungodly ways. That's what the prophets kept telling Israel. You're going astray. One prophet says, rend your heart, not your garments. Get it right. And it would be easier to think, well, that was then and this is now, and we're not like that anymore. But the truth is, we are human beings just as the people we read about in Scripture. And how many of you love that fact about Scripture, that when you read Scripture, you're reading about real human beings, not some Greek gods that didn't exist, that were the figment of someone's imagination. You're reading about real people. You're reading about people like Abraham that's told, offer up your son, your only son. And you read the challenge that's in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 22, and you, you read about Abraham, what happens with him as he heads towards Har Moriah to Mount Moriah. And what's going on with him? He rises early to do it. You read about this, and you read about Elijah, Eliyahu, and when he realizes Jezebel is after him, we find out that Eliyahu is quite a track star. And he can run. <laughs> Maybe that's the beginning of the Maccabee games that happened now in Israel right there. He can run. He takes off. That's real. In fact, the book of Yaakov, James says that Elijah was a man with like passions to us. Yet he prayed. Do you pray? Do you have a prayer life? Do you make your request known to him? Yeah, we could think, well, all that was then and this is now, and we're in a much more advanced state, but we do have this human common factor that connects us with them. When we read Scripture, we can connect with them. I can, do you? I connect with them sometimes. I understand and can feel it within me when they're out on the boat on, on the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes upon them, and you know what? They're scared. Have you ever been afraid of something? They're scared. They're wondering, Lord, do you want us to perish? What's going on here? We can relate to that element. Yet, they did things. They were blessed to the Lord, and they were unfaithful with the blessing. That's what the prophets tell us. And Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, he warned us in a similar way about similar sinful attitudes in Galatians chapter 5, 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Notice this next part, please. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But it gives us the answer in the very next verse, very next clause. But through love, serve one another. Now, if there's an altar that should be erected in our hearts, let it be the altar of his love. Let that be there. How many of you want Messiah to reign deep inside of you, to sanctify Yeshua as Lord of your life, to, for his love to be flowing in and through you? Hopefully that's our goal. His love for us and our love for him and the expression of both through our love and service to one another to express both of those things, to show others that he loves us and he loves them. And also, for us to understand deep within ourselves that that's reality, that's an eternal reality. 
For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Today we will have these elements that remind us of the sacrifice of Yeshua and what he did for you and for me. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9 says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. We're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, the believing community, and you do minister. It's an ongoing process still happening when the writer writes this. God's not unjust. Do you think that the things that you do within the community for the building up the community are, are unnoticed by God? If he, notice, if he knows what's happening in the nations and it says that even a hair on our head doesn't fall without him knowing or a sparrow fall from the sky that he doesn't know about it, do you think he knows about your deeds of kindness and love that you do within the community? He knows all about that. It says, he is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And then later on in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it declares this. It's one of the over a thousand commandments found in the new covenant. It says this. Here's the command. But do not forget to do good and to share. There's the command. Don't forget to do good and to share. And then it says this, for with such sacrifices, they realize that that can be a sacrificial act. Doing good and sharing can be a sacrificial act. Sometimes it's an inconvenience to do those things for you personally. But it's a sacrificial act for with such sacrifice. You know what it says? It says the very same thing it said about Yeshua. God is well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Sacrificial acts of good, doing good and sharing, those are sacrifices with which God is well pleased. Hosea chapter 10 verse 2 says, and it's really a point blank statement, halak libam. It's translated as their heart is divided. Halak libam. Their heart is divided. The idea of these two Hebrew, Hebrew words is that they have divided out portions of their heart. Rather than loving God with all their heart, Hosea was telling them, halak libam. They've divided their heart. Their heart's divided. They give portions of their deepest affections to something or to someone else other than the Lord. And if we are honest about it here this Shabbat morning, if we're honest about it, we, we realize not only is that easy to do in life, to give our deepest son to someone other than the Lord, but it's commonly done. We put someone or something above God in our lives, and we have to be careful about it. The first statement of the Aser Tadibrot, the Ten Commandments, addresses that at the very first breath of the Ten Commandments. As if God knew we would struggle, we would struggle when it comes to heart loyalty 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house that bonded. You shall have no other gods before me. First statement, no other gods before me. He says, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. First breath of the Ten Commandments. Now, we may want to emphasize the fourth, or we may want to emphasize the sixth, or we may want to emphasize the tenth, but the first breath of the Ten Commandments is this, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't divide or parcel out your heart. Let your heart belong to the Lord. Now, the word that's used in this text (laughs) is the word Elohim. How many are familiar with the Hebrew word Elohim? Probably most of us. It's a commonly known Hebrew word, and it always connotes some type of authority. So let no one or no thing have more authority than the Lord in your life. Let him be the Lord of your life. Let him sit on the throne of your heart. That's what it seems to be saying. And Yeshua spoke it this way. In Matthew Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me. Does it say that we should not love our father or mother? No. It says, he who loves father or mother more than me, replaces me with father or mother, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross, his slav, his etz, his execution stake, and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Hosea chapter 10, verse 3, it's quite profound. It's a summation. We have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us? I mean, you can just see right away as you read that, something's amiss in their thinking. (laughs) It reminds me of the John F. Kennedy quote, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Well, this is, as for a king, what, what would he do for us? What's in it for us? What's to our advantage here, having the Lord as the king? And when the people lost the fear of the Lord in the days of Hosea and the prophets afterward, all the way up to the prophet Malachi, when they lost the fear of the Lord, they were no longer living under the authority of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord helps cleanse us from things that we shouldn't do. When you fear the Lord, you stop doing those things. If you fear God, you don't want to do those things anymore. It says they became selfish. They were self-absorbed. They were egocentric in their outlook in life. Does that sound anything like 21st century Western culture? They had a what's-in-it-for-me kind of attitude in the days of Hosea. Do we have anything like that happening now in modern culture? Certainly, yes, we do. What's in it for me? Why should I do that? Will it profit me? Will it be good for me? 
Yet Rob Chalul offers this awesome summation to Messianic believers. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He, he, he says to them, if then you were raised with the Messiah, read the next clause with me, please, if you would. Seek those things which are above. If you're raised with the Messiah, seek those things which are above. Where Yeshua is, sitting at the right hand of God. And then it's reiterated, given to us in other words, in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 3, set your mind, some translations say, your affections. In the Greek thinking, those go together. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Messiah and God. And here's the good news, my friends. When Messiah, who is our life, appears, let's read it together, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a glorious day ahead for you if you're a believer. And you take these things seriously about serving God and letting nothing be in front of him in your life, that you want to serve him first and foremost. But I think most remarkable to me when I think about all what Scripture says, the most remarkable to me is what Yeshua, our Messiah, did for us. I never can get away from that. It's remarkable what he did. Why? Because he loves us, sure, but he willingly laid down his life for us. Willingly. He loved us so much that he sacrificed all for our eternal redemption. He paid the price for us. We belong to him now. He ransomed us. He redeemed us. He bought us with a great price. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, we should live righteously. We should live godly in the present age that we're in. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Today we remember what Messiah Yeshua did for us as we partake in just a few moments of these elements. I consider it a great privilege to partake of these elements. And these elements are available to all believers, all who recognize him as Lord. And this is a time for us to do inventory on our lives as we did in prayer before I started speaking to ask ourselves some very important questions. Questions such as, are we living selfishly, that's what they were doing in the days of Hosea. That's what they were doing in the days of Malachi. They were living selfishly. They had a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. Are we faithful in our hearts towards the Lord? Are we faithful with material provisions that God gives to us? Are we laboring within our community to further his plan and purpose? These are questions we can do inventory of our own lives with. Are we, through his love, are we serving one another? 
And lastly, are we divided in heart or do we have a heart of devotion to the Lord? You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, it's one of the few places where the apostle uses the term, I fear. Now, Apostle Paul, Rob Shaul, was a pretty brave guy. How many believe he was a brave guy? I mean, he, he had been stoned. He'd been thrown to lions. He had all kinds of things happen to him, bit by a snake, uh, you name it, shipwrecked. He listed all, actually, in 2 Corinthians, or at least part of it. But then when it comes to this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it's one of the few times where he says, I, I fear. He says, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Chava, Eve, by his craftiness. What does he say? So your minds, your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in the Messiah. Friends, Yeshua is not divided in his love for you today. These elements prove it. Will you bow your heads with me, please? You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.